I love that song. It's one of those things where it seems like all the songs that we've had tonight are sort of all working together uh, with the thought that we're going to be looking tonight. And that's always an exciting thing. That's always an encouraging thing because that's God organizing things behind the scene. You're in Ephesians chapter 2. We read a fairly lengthy passage just a moment ago. And Ephesians chapter 2 is a fairly familiar passage uh, of Scripture to us. If you go back just a handful of verses from where we read, uh, you'll see verses such as 8 and 9, very familiar verses. For by grace are you saved through faith. We know these verses, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And this passage is one that we often go to um, in witnessing and soul winning, and rightfully so. They're verses that explain salvation, explain how we receive that gift of God, not of works, verse 9. And it's a familiar passage on the topic of salvation. But in what we read just a moment ago, I want you to notice one particular word. And we'll look at that in a moment. But before we get to that, I want to put in mind who exactly Paul is writing to here. This is not a, a soul-winning letter that Paul is writing. Paul is not using this while out on the streets and individually talking with people, trying to lead them to the Lord. Rather, this is a church that Paul is writing to. This is a church of saved believers that he is writing to, to encourage. He is writing to explain these thoughts. And oftentimes, I think we so often look at the subject and thought of salvation as going outward, and rightfully so, but sometimes we miss it in and of our own selves. Look at the passage that we read just a moment ago. Um, the very first verse that we read, verse 11, Paul writing here says, Wherefore, remember. He says, remember. And then he goes on to explain a number of different things that we read with uh, Brother Tim just a moment ago, how God uh, reconciled us, brought us close, and all the different thoughts of salvation and he says, that is something that you as a church, you as believers, need to remember. He's not using this as an uh, evangelistic tool. He's not uh, sending this letter to some lost people. This is a group of saved people that he is reminding about their salvation, about what it is. Wherefore, remember, remember. And then he goes through that, those aspects of salvation. Every few months or so, we will have a Lord's Supper service, and it'll be one that is announced a few weeks in advance to begin to prepare for that, uh, to begin to consider that, and on that, that service, we'll go through uh, a lot of the events surrounding the Last Supper, surrounding the crucifixion of Christ, and all of those different things as, as we remember that uh, Christ made the statement regarding it, this do in remembrance of me. And it's an awesome thing on those Lord's Supper services to be able to uh, sort of just pause and reflect back on our salvation, reflect back on what Christ did for us. But salvation ought not be something that we just reflect over, remember over every few weeks, every few months, something like that. Salvation ought to be something that is continually fresh in our mind, continually 
on our hearts, continually uh, in our mind about what God has done for us. And I know too often from my own experience that having been saved for years and in church for years, it becomes very easy sort of to gloss over that subject, to just sort of uh, accept it and move on. And that's something I think that is a, a great danger in our Christian lives. Brother Adam preached a phenomenal message this morning on having individual revival. We won't be able to have that individual revival unless we get a renewed appreciation, a renewed perspective on our salvation. So tonight, for just a few minutes, we're gonna have a bit of a salvation message, but maybe a little bit different. It's not necessarily a call to salvation, although if you are here tonight and you're not saved, then that is exactly what it is. Um, but primarily in purpose, I understand it's a Sunday evening uh, crowd, the core of the church crowd. It's a message with the purpose of maybe reminding us, maybe refreshing our our thoughts and our mindset on our salvation. I don't think there will be anything new, anything revolutionary tonight, um, but the goal is to give us that renewed appreciation. It, it shouldn't be that we only reflect back on our salvation uh, every so often. It ought to be a daily thing that we reflect back on what Christ has done for us, uh, and that is the, the goal, the purpose of this message this evening to give us a renewed appreciation, a renewed, uh, if you will, refreshing on our salvation. We're gonna be looking at six different facts, truths, whatever you want to call them, regarding salvation. And again, mostly very familiar stuff um, and by no means exhaustive. We could go on and on, but I hope that in looking at these, we'll get a renewed appreciation, a renewed uh, mindset of focusing on our salvation and what God has done for us. Paul said, remember, wherefore, remember. He's writing to that church. He's saying, hey, don't forget how God saved you. Don't forget what God did for you. So we're gonna be looking at six different uh, truths about our salvation. You don't need uh, Ephesians anymore. That was sort of just our introduction. Turn, if you would, to the book of Romans. Most of the rest of our passages will be in the book of Romans. First, we're going to be going to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, looking at our salvation. What an amazing thing our salvation is. If you have a testimony of salvation here today, then that moment in your life is by far the most important of your life when you uh, accepted Christ as your savior and he changed your destiny from heaven to hell. You had that relationship with Christ uh, restored, renewed. And what a sad thing it would be if I were to become numb, calloused to that thought. Romans chapter three. First, of our six different thoughts. And again, nothing revolutionary, nothing earth-shattering this evening, but just some simple truths to remind us about our salvation. Look at Romans chapter three, verse 25. We'll look at a number of passages in Romans. So keep a bookmark 
at least in the book, so you can get back there quickly if we look at different passages. But Romans chapter 3, verse 25 says, Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation uh, through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remissions of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. First thing that I want to remind you of, that I want to draw your attention to, is, is that it is the blood of Christ that saves us. It is the blood of Christ that saves us, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. We're going to look at a number of different passages. Keep a bookmark in Romans. Uh, we just read in Ephesians, you don't have to turn back there, we were just there, but verse 13 says, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes far off are made nigh, brought close by the blood of Christ. Turn if you would to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 9. It is the blood of Christ that saves us. We, we sang a couple songs this evening at Calvary. There is a fountain filled with blood. And we can't move past that fact that it is the blood of Christ that saves us. Hebrews chapter 9. I love the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 9, look at verse 13 with me. It says, for, the, for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh. Verse 14 says, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from the dead works to serve the living God. He says, if the sacrifices of the Old Testament were good, how much more is the blood of Christ? A few verses down, verse 22, same chapter, Hebrews chapter 9, says, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. Flip over just a couple books to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. Maybe some of my favorite verses in the Bible. 1 Peter chapter 1. Looking at verse 8 and 9. It says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. Verse 19, or verse 9, excuse me. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish, and without spot. He says, you were not redeemed with things of this earth, things of this world, but rather through the blood of Christ. Two more verses. Look at verse, First uh, John, excuse me, First John, a couple more books over. First John chapter one. Verse 7 says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. And last verse, a couple books over, Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. Verse number 5. Revelation 1.5 says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. There is a movement, a trend in, in so-called modern Christianity that tries to remove the blood of Christ. Uh, from salvation. It's viewed as something that is uh, archaic, viewed as something that is uh, 
almost bloodthirsty, if you will, in its, in its presentation. But you cannot remove the blood of Christ from salvation. It's only by uh, the very blood of Christ that was spilled that your soul, that my soul is washed and is cleansed from our sin. It wasn't enough that Christ, uh, that Christ lived and went through all of that, but he had to die and his blood had to be shed for us. It's his blood that was shed for your soul, for my soul, that cleanses us from our sin. Lord's Supper time comes around. We have the cup that goes around, and it's reminding us of the blood that is spilt. Don't ever get over the fact that for your salvation, the blood of the Son of God had to be spilt to cleanse you, to cleanse me from our sins. It's the blood of Christ that saves us. Turn back to Romans. We'll always be coming back to the book of Romans if we go away, so again, keep a marker there. Number one, it's the blood of Christ that saves us from our sins. We're in Romans chapter three. Turn over a couple chapters to Romans chapter five. Romans chapter five. Familiar thoughts here, but so, so crucial to our salvation. Romans chapter five. Another familiar verse here. Look, with, look if you would at verse seven. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure, maybe, perhaps, for a good man, some would even dare to die. Verse eight, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Number one, we saw it's the blood of Christ that saves us. Number two, Christ died for us while we were his enemies. Verse seven lays out the thought that, that maybe, perhaps, for a good person, someone would be willing to die. But that's not the situation that it was when God looked at us. Rather, he looked at us and saw sinners. Colossians chapter one puts it this way. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind, by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. Ephesians, where we read just a moment ago, uses very sim similar language. Uh, Brother Adam went to the verses in Isaiah this morning where it talks about our sins have separated us from God. God did not look at me uh, and see someone that uh, just needed a little help but overall was close. He looked at someone who by nature was his enemy, by nature was separated, by nature was against him because of my sin. And despite all of that, despite who I was by nature, uh, he went through that and saved me when I was his enemy, when I was yet sinners, as it says in Romans chapter five, verse eight. God does not uh, look at us and see someone who is worthy of being saved, because none of us are. Rather, it's simply because of his overwhelming love that any of us are saved. Christ died for us while we were his enemies. First um, John tells us that we love him because he first loved us. We had nothing in ourselves to offer God. We had no uh, allure, no appeal, no no worthiness in our own selves, 
rather we were separated. We were the enemies of God. Yet, despite that, God commendeth his love towards us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Far be it from me to let it get into my mind that I have something to offer God, something that makes me uh, worth saving, something that makes me uh, more valuable than anyone else. Because in my sins, I was just as separated from God as anyone else in the world. But despite that fact, God reached down and saved me and saved you if you're here tonight. Christ died for us while we were his enemies. Turn over a couple chapters to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We are not saved without the shedding of Christ's blood. Christ died for us while we were his enemies. Romans chapter 8. Look at verse number 3. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Number three, Christ took our condemnation in his own body. Christ took our condemnation in our own body. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Turn over to Hebrews. Keep your bookmark in Romans, we'll be back there, but turn over to the book of Hebrews. A couple verses to look at on this thought. The condemnation, the judgment that was supposed to be for you and was supposed to be for me. Christ bore in his own body. Hebrews chapter 2, verse number 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. It says, who was made a little lower than the angels. He was given that body of flesh like you and I for the purpose of taking in that body the condemnation that was for me and for you, turn over a couple chapters to 1 Peter, a few books over to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse number 24 says, Who in his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed, who in his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. I'm reminded of the verses from Isaiah chapter three, and we're not gonna turn there, uh, but that's a passage we'll often go to. Uh, it talks about that uh, by his stripes we are healed, with his bruises we are freed. And that whole passage that talks about the condemnation, the judgment that was for me and was for you, was rather placed on the body of Christ. Christ bore in his body our condemnation. Again, going back to the Lord's Supper, the other element there, the unleavened bread. It pictures that broken body of Christ 
That body was broken for me. The judgment that I was supposed to face for my sin was rather placed on the body of Christ. He bore in his body our condemnation. Back to Romans. Back to Romans chapter 3. It's only through the blood of Christ that we are saved. Christ died for us while we were his enemies. Christ bore in his own body our condemnation. Romans chapter 3. We read one of these verses a moment ago. We'll read a couple here. Look at verse 24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remissions of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Look at verse 26. I love this verse. To declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Number four, truth number four, whatever you want to call it. Christ took our punishment. We just mentioned that a moment ago so that we, you and I, could be justified. Verse 24 says, being justified freely. Verse 26 says that thought again. And here's the thought here. Look what it says in verse 26. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just. Pause there for just a moment. God could not look at you and I with our sins that had separated with with the iniquities, with all of the issues that we had, and simply turn a blind eye, and simply just overlook them, simply just uh, uh, look past them. Because if that was the case, then God would not be just. God would not be that just judge who punishes wrong, who punishes sins, if he simply winked at our, uh, our wrongdoings, turned a blind eye. He could not be just and do that. However, look what it says here, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. We mentioned just a moment ago how Christ bore in his body our condemnation. With that thought, God could fulfill both his obligations of justice because our sins were punished on Christ, and then he could look at you and I and see us as justified. It says that he might be just. God is just. Your sins, my sins, were indeed punished on the person of Christ and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. God could fulfill then both of those roles of being the just judge and the justifier of you and I because our sins were condemned on Christ. God could look at you and justify you. Our, our sins were put on Christ so that we could be justified. That's such an incredible thought. We are declared righteous. We are, we are renewed in that standing with God. We're no longer uh, facing that debt of sin because all of that was placed on Christ. And so God was able to be just by punishing our sin on Christ and then look at us as justified, as righteous. Christ took our punishment so that we 
could be justified. He is both just and the justifier. I love that verse, just and the justifier. Uh, our, our fifth thought, it comes from the same verse or uh, the verse just previously that we read, Romans chapter 3, verse 25. Look back there if you would, just the verse previously. Whom God had set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. We've looked at a couple different thoughts from this verse. I want you to notice that first phrase, though. Whom God hath set forth. Truth number five is that God provided the sacrifice. God provided the sacrifice. Turn over a couple chapters to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and keep your finger there. We'll be coming back to Romans chapter 8. But look at verse 32. Verse 31, let's start reading there. Very familiar verse. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Look at verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. We go all the way back to, to Adam and Eve in the garden and the breaking of that fellowship uh, when they sinned, when they fell, um, and that, that communion with God, that closeness with God was severed, was broken immediately from that point on. God had a plan to redeem us. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, it's big fancy word, the proto-evangelium. Uh, the first reference of the gospel is where Christ or uh, God promises that the head of the serpent would be crushed uh, by the seed of the woman, referring to Christ. But God was willing to provide his only son as the sacrifice. John 3, 16 probably 90% of us could quote that verse this evening. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He knew the sacrifice that was needed. He knew that in and of ourselves, we could not pay for our sins. We could not uh, account for our sins. That had to be placed on someone else. And he willingly provided that sacrifice. I'm reminded of all the way back in Genesis when Abraham and Isaac were walking up that mountain after God had commanded Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And, and Isaac asked that question of his father. He says, he says, we have the wood. He says, we have the knife. We have all the different things for the sacrifice, but where's the lamb? And, and Abraham makes an almost prophetic statement in reply. He says, God will provide himself a lamb. And for Abraham and Isaac back on that mountain, God did provide the lamb. It was that ram that was in, in the, the, the thicket there that was tangled there and provided for that sacrifice. But far, far more important is the lamb that was provided for the sacrifice for your sin and my sin. Revelation 13, you don't need to turn this, says, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. All the way back from the beginning, God knew what it would cost for my soul, for your soul to be saved. He knew it would be his son. 
and yet he willingly provided that lamb to be the sacrifice. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. God will provide himself a lamb. That sacrifice was provided, and it was Christ, bearing our sins in his body and washing us with his blood. It is the blood of Christ that saves us. The sacrifice was made while we were yet Christ's enemies. Our condemnation was born in the body of Christ, and because of that, we could be justified. God provided the sacrifice. And lastly, number six, you're in Romans chapter eight. Look at verse 32, we just read it. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Look at verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Lastly, number six, now that we have been saved, now that we have been cleansed, we have been justified as believers, no charge can be brought against us. Look at that again. Who is he that uh, condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again. The only one that could bring a charge against us is Christ as being that perfect judge. He is the one that could righteously condemn us for our sins. But look what, rather than condemning us, Christ is doing now. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again. Who, even, who is even at the right hand of God, and rather than condemning us, who also maketh intercession for us. Hebrews, we're not going to turn there, but Hebrews goes in great depth into the thought that we now have Christ as our high priest, and he is interceding. He is going uh, between us and God, and Christ, as the only one who could condemn us, is no longer condemning us. Rather, he is interceding for us. Christ's blood that covers you and I if we're saved is the answer to every condemnation that could be directed against us. Any charge that could be directed against us uh, is answered by the blood of Christ. As Christians, no charge can be brought against us because it is Christ that intercedes for us. And then we can read down through the remainder of this chapter, who shall separate us? from the love of Christ. And we're not gonna read through the rest of the passage, but nothing can separate us. Look at verse 39, the last phrase there. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Our salvation is something that I don't think you and I will truly be able to comprehend until we get to heaven, the depth of that, the truths of that, what that truly entails with the sins of all the world being placed on Christ. But we just looked at a few different thoughts and we could go on and on and on probably for the rest of the week looking at different thoughts 
on our salvation, on what Christ has done for us. And again, it ought not be something that we just take one service every few, few weeks and set apart to remind ourselves. Because if we do that, then we run the risk of almost becoming numb, almost becoming calloused to this thought of our salvation. When in reality, it's such a life-changing event, something that is so impactful in your life and in my life that it ought to be the focus of every day. It ought to change the way we live, the change the way we act, the way we talk, the way we think in light of what Christ has done for us. Going back to what Brother Adam preached this morning about having revival individually, if we live our lives with the thought of what Christ has done for us individually through our salvation, through how he justified us, how he redeemed us, and all the different things, we'll have that spirit of revival. We'll have that mindset of, God, whatever you have for me, I'm after. I'm sharing your word. I'm, I'm all in because of how much you did for me. A couple weeks ago, we were at camp, and on one of the last nights, uh, there was a message preached, and there was a tagline that was mentioned over and over and over in the message, and it was this very, very simple thought. If Christ died for me, how can I not live for him? And it's such a simple thought, and it's one that no doubt uh, you have heard several times over. But when we look at what our salvation is, when we're reminded of the truths of our salvation, that thought comes into clearer and clearer focus. If Christ did all of these things for me, God provided the sacrifice, or his blood cleanses us from our all sins, we are now justified in the sight of the Father, uh, all of our condemnation, all of our eternal judgment was put on the body of Christ. With that thought in mind, it becomes a very, very simple equation. If Christ did all that for me, if he was willing to shed every drop of his precious blood for me, then how can I not live for him? How can I not then move forward and dedicate every aspect of my life to pleasing him, to bringing him glory, to lifting him up. And I think so often maybe the thing that hinders us in doing that is we've forgotten what it truly means to be saved. We've forgotten what it cost. We've sort of just just become numb. We hear it all the time in church about being saved and all of the different things, and it just sort of runs off of our back a little bit. It, it, it's uh, become a little bit numb to that thought, when in reality, our salvation should be something that is the entire focus of our life, our, our mindset in acknowledging 
all that Christ has done for your soul, for my soul, to save it, to justify us, to redeem us, all the different things that go into our salvation, if we truly allow that to influence our lives, and I truly believe, Brother Adam preached about this morning, we'll see that individual revival in our own selves, in our families, in our church, in the various different circles that he, he talked about ever expanding outward. But it all starts with that knowledge, with that understanding, with that rem reminder of what Christ has done for us through our salvation. Lord, we love you, and God...